Welcome to Coming Out of the Spiritual Closet with your host, me, Brittany Wittig. Join me every week to explore and demystify the world of modern spirituality. This week, I interview Priestess Francesca, a trusted professional sex worker for seekers, revolutionaries, creatives, and innovators on a healing, growth, and transformational journey. She's been featured in Cosmopolitan, Health Magazine, and Grand Central Publishing. When I met Priestess Francesca, I was immediately drawn to her and I knew I wanted to have her on the podcast. Francesca is so ethical and so love-based. She makes it feel safe to discuss the most taboo and potentially triggering subjects. As you can imagine, this week's episode is for adults only. There are very mature themes covered in very explicit language. I would like to add a trigger warning. Francesca explicitly discusses domestic violence and sexual violence in this episode, but the discussion is 100% focused around the power of the erotic to heal trauma. I've never heard anyone speak about trauma, the erotic, and healing the way that Priestess Francesca does, and it feels so resonant and so powerful. I'm so looking forward to sharing her wisdom with all of you. This was a powerfully mind-opening and healing conversation for me that certainly pushed the edge of my comfort zone. But as all of you know who have been listening for a while, I firmly believe that the edge of our comfort zone is where the magic and the growth happens. So I ask that you listen to this episode with an open mind. And if you notice that there are things in this episode that feel uncomfortable or that you feel resistance to, this is an invitation to have a look deep within yourself at those things. Because often where we feel resistance is where we have the most potential for healing. So without further ado, let me introduce the incredible priestess Francesca. All right, everyone, welcome back to the podcast. This week, I have Priestess Francesca here, and I'm so excited about it. This is going to be such a cool conversation. Francesca, first off, if you could just tell us a little bit about what you do and yeah, just tell us a little bit about yourself. Mm, Thank you so much for having me, Brittany. I have a sense this is going to be a very juicy conversation. Um, so what I like to say is that I'm an erotic activist and a sexual revolutionary. What I really do though, is I help shepherd people into some of their most vulnerable, uh, misunderstood sexual desires as a pathway to liberation and to expanded self-revelation and consciousness. And so that manifests in a couple of ways in my work. Um, I am a full service sex worker. I am a professional dominatrix and most recently have erected the school of erotic mysteries to allow others to begin exploring these realms in a much safer way than I got to experience (laughs) as I was doing this exploring. So I first got into this world when I was 19 years old. 
I was in a polyamorous relationship for five years and we had kinky dynamics. So we were exploring power exchange and different forms of fetishes and kinks. And that was some of the most (laughs) expansive time of my life. And I remember I was 20 years old. I had a really intense experience where during sex, the entire room dissolved into white. And I was in a place where I was certain I touched God. Like that was, that was the moment. Um, But I was so disoriented coming out of that experience because I felt like I had touched divinity through sex. And my partner at the time had no idea that this was going on and kind of came out of it and was like, I'm going to go pee and probably nap. Like, you know, (laughs) (laughs) wow. When that partnership dissolved, I searched. I just kept throwing myself into situations to touch into that like over and over again. So in New York City, I was throwing myself into orgies and dungeons and getting myself into some pretty tricky and probably dangerous, actually very dangerous psychologically situations. And so all through my 20s, I was clumsily trying to figure out what this was that I was holding because there was no real place for it in the overculture, no real place for it in society. Um, And it wasn't until my late twenties, I found a high priestess that I started to work with very closely. And I began to understand the medicine that I was actually here to administer to the world. Um, And now my mission is to help others have these experiences in a much safer container than I ever got to experience after working with so many clients in my world. Um, I'm on a true mission to destigmatize the erotic and to teach how this needs to be an integral part to a spiritual practice, even if it's like treacherous and scary and veiled in lots and lots of shame. Oh my gosh. I love that so much. That is, first of all, such an interesting story. And as you're talking, I can just feel how powerful learning from you is going to be for me. And so I know that there are lots of people listening right now who are probably feeling the same. Mm. Very, very cool. So you've talked about erotic embodiment. Mm. I just love the sound of that. (laughs) So what what is erotic embodiment and it how does it empower us yeah so society has taught us for a host of different reasons that the erotic is something that happens in the bedroom and that it happens with explicit sexual behaviors or expressions right what that has done is orphaned us from a very deep part of our core power. So I always feel like the erotic at the base of our bodies is a huge part of our internal power source. And this narrative that the erotic only happens during sex in the bedroom is doing everybody a disservice from actually connecting with a source of their power. 
So the way that I teach this is that imagine your erotic is like a pilot light, like a flame. And when you orphan yourself and you say, okay, in this compartment of my life, the erotic gets to be on. And in this compartment of my life, the erotic doesn't get to be on. It's like you're turning the pilot light off when you're walking through the rest of your world. And so there's practices that I teach where learning to keep the pilot light on, infusing the rest of your being with your erotic energy to create in the world, to walk in the world, to inform your relationships, your erotic power is a compass. I've always felt it like a compass in my life where it shows me this is my path. That's not my path. This is my person. That's not my person. This is what I'm supposed to create. That's a waste of my energy. Whoa. Oh my gosh. This is so cool. You're, you're already blowing my mind. So this makes sense as you talk about it, it makes total sense, but I know 100% for sure that I only turn my pilot light on in very specific situations. Mm-hmm. Yes. Oh, wow. This is fascinating. Okay. Um, Oh, how would someone, to- Oh, go on. Yes. Okay. So the, the, let's talk about the pilot light and how maybe to de-shame keeping it on in non-sexual um, experiences. Because I think there's a narrative that happens that we're conditioned with from when we're really young, that if you are engaged with your erotic in non-sexual <laughs> experiences, you're bad in some yes. way, right? Women yes. gender, like humans gendered as women at birth are going to be told you're manipulative, you're a slut, you're um, power hungry. Like there's that whole narrative that happens if you're in touch with your erotic power when you're out of the bedroom. For humans assigned male at birth, Mm -hmm. they get the narrative that you're a predator. If you are in touch with your erotic, you are a bad person. You are going to hurt somebody right? Mm-hmm. You're going to violate someone's boundaries. That's the narrative that they're getting. Right. So we're told from a very young age, and it's compounded over and over again, that keeping your pilot light is actually dangerous. It actually makes you bad. And that's one of the first myths that we need to bust in this conversation is that your erotic is not harmful. And I start really subtly when I work with people around becoming receptive to the subtle and see how it turns on your erotic. So I like to, this is one of my own practices, like holding a cup of tea, allowing for the warmth in my hand to penetrate and let me feel the warmth all over my body and then bring the steam up to my face and let it wash over me kind of like the way a lover would breathe heavily on your face and just let myself be in that luxuriating, like receiving and giving place to this cup of tea. Like that's a beautiful example of how you can play with your erotic energy without being explicitly sexual. And you're certainly not hurting anyone from luxuriating in the steam of a cup of tea. Ooh. Oh, I love that. Okay. I'm definitely going to try that. That's so, 
This is so fascinating. And I think what you said about shame is spot on. There's like, I feel it in myself. I definitely feel like this deeply conditioned shame around the erotic, around the sexual, outside of very, very specific situations. And honestly, even in those situations sometimes, because we've just, it's just all been so, yeah, so shamed, especially in the United States. It's so bizarre to me that in the United States, like there's all the violence in the world on television, but if there's an erotic scene, can't show that. Yeah. Kinks, fetishes, and taboos. Oh, let's go here. These are my favorites. Yeah. So I'm, you, you mentioned something that, um, previously to this interview that really, really sparked my interest. And that is that kinks, fetishes, and taboos can lead us to expanded consciousness. Mm. And I'm, I would love to hear more about that. If you would be able to talk about that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Let's rewind before I even get into the kinks. Let's talk okay. about <laughs> the erotic energy as alchemical energy. Okay. So what I like to say is that your erotic, your sexual energy is akin to the element of fire. Mm-hmm. There, If you were going to have, you know, you're full of elementals, right? <laughs> you're full of yeah. air and earth and water. Well, you're also full of fire and that's in the erotic. And the fire is the element that is going to burn away, transform, transmute that which needs to be burned off. And our bodies know what to do with stuff that isn't serving us anymore. What has happened in this world is that our body's natural response, which is often to eroticize trauma, and we can talk more about this. Yes. To eroticize trauma is a really healthy, organic, and natural way to move and transmute pain. However, the ways that it comes out is often really misunderstood. I mean... (laughs) quote, you were saying like, you know, a sex scene in the movie, often that's not even that quote taboo or weird, or it's just people having snoring. (laughs) But that's so shamed. The way that we eroticize our traumas is usually not missionary heteronormative sex. Right. So I just want to name, I want to name that. Um, And it often comes out in things that are really confused and misunderstood. And what happens is when we bring that to somebody, we end up just getting re-traumatized because it's so so misunderstood. People can't understand it, you know? Sure. So in my experience, working not only with kink for my own transmutation, my own process, but then in shepherding so many other people through their own kinks and fantasies and having that experience in real life, there's often a connection much later down the line where you can look back and say, oh shit, that's what I was healing there. Oh Oh, my God, that's what I was moving through, you know? (laughs) Oh my goodness. There it is. All my mommy issues, just like, poof. (laughs) 
being eroticized in partnership. So I have so many examples of this, depending on how deep we want to go into it. I'll, I'll ask for your permission before I get into it. But the way that our erotic is going to transform our trauma is a really important piece to all of this. Oh, interesting. Okay. So yes, I would love for you to share an example of this. Um, yeah. Okay. An example would be great. Cause I think this is super fascinating and powerful, powerful. Cause I have never, I don't think I've heard anyone talk about this. I, <laughs> they're in deep, deep, dark corners because yeah. as it wasn't until I think it was 2015 that kink and BDSM were finally removed from the DSM, which basically says you have a mental disorder if Whoa. you are into this. So this is re like really modern stuff um, where people are finally understanding some of this intersection of somatic, somatically, what do we hold on to when we hold on to trauma? And then how can kink and BDSM help us move through that stored energy that we accrue through traumatic experiences? But <laughs> this is like the cutting edge of the cutting edge of neurobiology and like quantum physics, basically. Oh, I love it. Perfect. This okay. Awesome. So I'll give... Um, I'll give an, an example of my own because I think okay. it's important to share. And then I'll also share a client's one if that feels good for everybody. Um, okay. So I come from an Italian lineage of mobsters. That is my family. That's my family lineage. Wow. And, and wife beating is, is part of that, um, is part of my heritage. It's part of my ancestry. And in my 20s, I had the hottest fantasies of being a domestic housewife mm -hmm. in the kitchen cooking dinner where my abusive husband would come in and start yelling at me and like throw the food that wasn't good enough and then slap me across the face multiple times um and yeah beat the crap out of me and then bend me over the kitchen counter and fuck me Wow. Yeah. And it was so confusing. I felt so wrong. I felt so ashamed that this is what I wanted to do. This was hot for me. What? You know, like I had spent my whole a young adult life get it trying to get away and not repeat history. And here I am wanting to do nothing other than repeat history with my partners. And that was a total mind trip. What I know now and what I feel fortified enough to express is that in my permission and like, thank goodness I found a partner who was like, yeah, let's do this. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Let's do this. Um, and we played, we would play so intensely in this space. And what was different is I would express an orgasm after getting beat up. And there was something miraculous about changing the ending of the story. It's like my grandmother, my great-grandmother 
they just got beat up and then were abandoned in the kitchen to clean it all up and do it, you know, and then give him coffee in the morning. Right. For me, I got to change the ending. And through the expression of that orgasm, I was releasing so much stored stuff that I had no idea was in my body. And every time I would like cathartically wail crying after an orgasm and he would just hold me in aftercare and love up on me and be like the gentlest human. And that was shifting so much for me. Now it's interesting for me to see that I, as a dominatrix, I love the like domestic, quote, domestic violence kinks. Like I love having my submissives chained in the kitchen and beating up on them. And I can feel my great grandmothers behind me being like, get them. You know, like something is happening with them Ah. now. They're feeling so empowered. And I'm just giving full permission for my erotic to be like, okay, what are we doing now? Ancestors? What are we healing today? (laughs) Wow. Oh, that's so fascinating. And it makes total sense. And this is one of those things where I think this is so common. I bet, I mean, I don't know the numbers. We couldn't know, but I bet most of the people listening, if they're really, really honest with themselves, have some sort of um, kink or something that turns them on that feels shameful to them. And just realizing that there's like a real spiritual healing purpose to that, like completely flips the whole thing on edge. Like that's, it's amazing. Yeah. For a lot of my clients who have been, uh, who are assigned female at birth, Mm -hmm. they have, a a lot of them have rape fantasies. Mm. So the desire, and it doesn't have to be always like, I'm walking down the street and something terrible, but like that fantasy of I'm standing in a place and all of a sudden he like throws me up against the wall and hits me and like pins me down and I can't move. And that, that struggle to get out, but he takes Mm -hmm. you anyway. Right. Mm -hmm. Like that's such a fantasy. And a lot of times it's tethered to an abandonment wound. Mm -hmm. And the narrative that comes out is like to have someone want me so badly that they would break all social constructs in order to get me is so hot. Oh, interesting. Of course. Mm. Oh, wow. And I mean, just total transparency. That's one that I can very much relate to. Like I'm very turned on by like domination Um, and that has always been uncomfortable for me. Like, like, why, why do I, why am I turned on by this? But it makes total sense for me because I was adopted as a child, Hmm. total abandonment wound. Oh, this is so sharing that. (laughs) This is so amazing. I just, yes. Thank you so much. I'm learning so much. It's awesome. You've spoken to this a little bit already. And I feel like what we just talked about um, speaks to this, but even further, how does tapping into the power of the erotic empower us? And also you've mentioned that it reduces harm to others. That's something that you've talked about in the past. So I'd love to know more about that. Yes. 
Oh, okay. So the erotic as a power source. Well, let's, I'll tug on the thread that we were just talking about, right? The embracing of what your erotic is bringing you to is automatically a power move (laughs) because what you're doing is you're letting your body lead your healing journey instead of your mind. And I think where we're getting a little confused in, especially like the wave of Instagram mental health, the wave of like (laughs) Instagram memes talking about spiritual awakening. Like there's, there's a lot of overly simplistic information out there. So what I'd like to say is that when we are absorbing so much of this information to lead our healing journey, we get tripped up. Mm -hmm. And (laughs) I say it when I'm talking to people who are coming to me, seeking to explore healing through sexuality, through kink. Um, Sometimes there's a curiosity, like, what am I healing now? And my invitation is always to say, don't worry about it. Don't pay, like, don't worry. Don't set your intentions. Don't be like, I'm going to heal all my mommy wounds. I'm going to heal my abandonment wounds. I'm going to do all this stuff, right? Because when you are leading with your mind, you end up in a place that's, you're just going to get smacked again. (laughs) It's just ripping over the side and you're going to be like, oh shit, that wasn't it, you know? So the erotic as a power move is what I call a decolonized approach to Mm. healing. Okay. So in a colonized approach, I'm going to read all the books. I'm going to learn all the theories. I'm going to understand my attachment styles. I'm going to fix all the things, right? And on a level, what you're saying is that a part of me is wrong and a part of me needs to be fixed. Right. When we lead with the erotic, we're saying nothing is wrong with me. This is what's bringing me pleasure. And so I'm just going to go do that. Mm, oh, that's, I love that. <laughs> right? Yeah. I had one, um, one of my clients come to me and she was like riddled with this. Um, I need to fix my anxious attachment style, right? Mm-hmm. Cause she had gone down this rabbit hole of pathologizing all of the things that are wrong with her. And this is how, this is why she's too needy in relationships. And I looked at her and I said, um, maybe you don't need to fix anything. Maybe you just need six boyfriends. and she was like oh oh my god there's no you know it was like that permission that like nothing's wrong with you please just do what feels good and trust that it is gonna lead you somewhere and this is totally opposite of like hedonistic numbing out I'm overly obsessed with only being in happy times. Like that's not what we're doing here. We're leaning into our pleasure center as a way to move through healing with ease. And that's a power move in this era that glamorizes suffering over and over and over again, right? (laughs) How many times in healing communities do you hear people say like, I'm so exhausted. I'm so exhausted from healing. Yeah. Okay then maybe there's a little bit of carryover from the indoctrination of the overculture that says you have to be suffering in order to be worthy, or you have to be working really hard in order to get anywhere. It's like, that's bullshit. 
It is the biggest heap of bullshit that I would like to dispel right now. <laughs> Ooh, you know, this is, this is so good. And what comes up for me with this is I I'm often saying that following your authentic path will feel good to you. It mm. should feel good and pay attention to how it's feeling. And this feels like that times a hundred. It's like following your erotic, following your pleasure, that that is going to move you through your path. It doesn't have to make sense to your mind. No. And there are so many times where something expresses uh, in my erotic or in my client's erotic, and we still don't know years later, like, what was that? No clue. We have no clue, but I do know I feel a lot lighter on the other Mm -hmm. side of that. I do know. I feel like I let something go. I do know. I feel unburdened. I do know I feel clearer about what the next steps are in my life. You know, that's a huge power play to say, I'm going to sit. I mean, and we hear it a lot too, like sit in the mystery. Well, easier said than done for sure. But like, yeah. <laughs> this is definitely one of those moments where it's like, if you just let the mystery unfold with your erotic, it will take you somewhere beautiful. You just don't, you just don't know where you're going. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. Being okay with the unknown and it goes along with like getting really present. Yeah. Being present and being okay with not knowing where you're going, trusting. And that happens in sexual expressions a lot. So we often, I often see a lot of people when they begin to be comfortable sitting in the unknown unfolding in the erotic it carries over into the rest of the ways that they live. You know, they can kind of just flow with life now. But what happens in most sexual expressions is there is a method of procedure. There's a way to do it, right? You make out, then you get felt up, then you get fingered, then you get banged, then you maybe have an orgasm, maybe don't, then you pee because you don't want TI and then you take a nap and like, maybe you'll do it again with that same person. <laughs> right. Yeah, totally. Right? right. There's a ding, 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 ding. And it's so clear to me that that's exactly how everyone's been indoctrinated on how to live too. You go to school, you go to college, you get a job, you go get married, you have kids, you pay your taxes and then you die miserable. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Pretty much. Right? That, that whole and and when people can be in like the discomfort of, at the beginning, it's very uncomfortable to sit in a sexual space and not follow that script, do their best to deprogram in that world, then that power center is all of a sudden liberated and that power center informs everything else in your life. So I have this phrase like how you sex is how you live and how you live is how you sex. And so if there's anyone out there listening and saying, I'm a totally liberated person, I do whatever the fuck I want. And you, your sexuality is often this conscripted, maybe porn informed method of procedure. Then I invite you to do some exploring. Mm, Okay. So how do you have a recommendation for how someone could start doing that exploring? The yes. Yes, I do. Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, It's, Connected with the pilot light. So we're going back to the cup of tea. Okay. Have you ever seen someone go to nature and have no idea what to do with it there? They'll like take a picture or eat a sandwich or make a phone call. Or, yes. Know, they yes. go to the most beautiful places and then 
they are just in their own little world. Mm -hmm. My invitation is to start building erotic curiosity in the wild. So meaning, I feel inspired to go to the river today. I'm going to go to the river without my phone, without any idea about what I'm, I'm not going to write. I'm not going to write my journal. <laughs> no, go to the river and see what calls to you. See what calls to you. Sometimes it's the little flowers by the bank. Sometimes it's the shade under the tree. Sometimes it's the warmth of the sun. Sometimes it's the glisten of the water, right? Like understand, okay, what feels good for me in this wild space? And then the best you can begin to become a little more penetrable. Begin to open and allow for it to come into you. And everyone has their own spiritual practice. Maybe they get messages through downloads. Maybe they get visions. Maybe they just have a feeling in your body like, oh, that's the, the glistening of the water is making my chest just expand and see how much you can absorb. And what I often say is that what you are called to in the wild has medicine for you. It will give you something the same way that what you feel called to in the erotic has medicine for you, if you trust it. And so it's a really gentle way of beginning to just sit in that space and allowing for yourself to become penetrable, receive, being in the, I'm not, I'm not coming here with an intention at all. I'm just going to pay attention. So it's one of the fundamental shifts that I make with my clients too. When they come and they say like, my intention is to do this work. And I'm like, great, we're going to throw that away now. <laughs> That's coming from your mind. It's coming from up here. What we're doing in this space is we're, after we build a very strong container, we're just going to slosh around and pay attention to what happens organically without a lot of shoulds, without a lot of rules. And the gentlest way that I know how to start that practice is going to nature and letting her teach you. Mm, okay. That feels like so resonant to me. Um, for me, so much starts in nature and going to nature always feels like a great way to get in touch uh, with my true self and to get aligned. So that does feel like a very safe way to start this practice. And nature is dripping in erotic energy. Like I think it's so sexy. Nature is so sexy. It's like the flowers and the birds and the like the trees that root down. I just envision them like penises entering into the earth and the flowers mm. blooming are like these yonis and the little fish like flowing around feel like my erotic waters. Like I just find nature so sexy. And when we can kind of go to that place from our erotic power, like mm, yeah, it's yummy. <laughs> oh my gosh. I'm never, I'm never going to look at nature the same again. I love, I love what you just described. I love the reframe. And of course it would be because erotic energy 
is the energy of creation, right? Mm -hmm. So of course nature would be dripping in it. And yes. we're just so oblivious to it because of our programming. Yeah. Yeah. Ooh, I can't <laughs> wait to go. I'm I'm about to spend a few days at the beach. So I'm definitely oh. gonna be doing this. I'm gonna be digging into this practice. I cannot wait to hear about your wild lover experience. Yes. Oh my gosh. So wow. Francesca, <laughs> this has just been amazing. Like this has been such an incredible interview. I am so grateful for you being here and sharing so openly and so clearly. I feel like people listening today are going to get so much out of this. I got so much out of this. So thank you. Thank you. And, and openness and receptivity to what is usually on the fringe. I appreciate you. You know, me and a few of my good friends have this joke. Me, my partner, a few of our good friends um, were the fringiest fuck crew. <laughs> so it's yeah. funny that you mentioned the word fringe. <laughs> yes, I love that. So always trying to get farther out on the fringe. So this is perfect. <laughs> so, um, Someone is listening and they want to work with you. How can people work with you? How can people connect with you? Yeah. Um, thank you for the opportunity. So the links will be in the show notes. Um, the School of Erotic Mysteries runs according to the seasonal wheel. <laughs> Not oh. surprising. So um, the next container is the spring equinox container and then the summer solstice, et cetera, et cetera. Fascinating. Uh, I'm writing that down. <laughs> <laughs> thank you we would love to have you if you feel inspired and that is the pathway to walk into any in-person exploration with me also so there's okay. a way that I hold this work as very sacred temple work and the school of the erotic of erotic mysteries is the pathway that you will walk in before you get into any temple space with me so if any of your listeners are like I want to jump into BDSM sessions with you. Great. We can absolutely talk about that. And there's foundational energetic awareness that needs to be cultivated because I think just in listening for me, you're going to know we're going to go super deep. <laughs> it's not going to be shallow, hedonistic. Let's just get off here. <laughs> so, so for your listeners um, exclusively, if they use the code, I'm coming out, <laughs> which I've been singing all morning. <laughs> I love it. Yes. If they use that code, they'll get an additional bonus of $222 uh, value at. And whenever you decide to sign up, that will be good for you. So if you're feeling a little edgy and right now isn't the moment, that's okay. Honor that too. No need to rush in the realm of the erotic. Oh, awesome. Okay. And like Francesca said, that'll all be in the show notes. And thank you so much for being here today. This has just been amazing. Thank you so much for having me. I loved being able to share all of this. I appreciate you and what you're doing on this show so much. Oh, thank you. And thank you to everyone listening. Have a beautiful week.